we hit a nerve with that because within two weeks of launching it, we had more than a thousand buyers sign up. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we sit down with Joe Tarnowski, who's the VP of Content for ECRM. Joe, welcome to the show. Dave, thank you for having me on. Hey, it is a pleasure. So I want to start with a little background for people that might not be familiar with ECRM. Can you tell me a little bit more about the company and the integral play role that you play with you know, the retail and CPG industry as a whole? Sure. My pleasure. And it's a little it's a little complicated. So we've been around for 25 years. And basically what we do is we drive efficiencies and effectiveness into the buying and selling process for retailers, for food service operators, for pharmacies and medical markets, as well as those suppliers who serve them. So primarily consumer packaged goods companies. And we do that in two ways. One is through our programs, which are category-specific, private, pre-scheduled, face-to-face meetings, which are in-person as well as now virtual, which we'll get into a little bit later, and related services around them. So now you notice I said programs, right? I don't say events because we're not an event company, especially in a traditional sense of, let's say, a conference or an expo. We're nothing like that. Even though we have in-person meetings where we bring these buyers and sellers together, it's completely different. The format and the process of what we do is a little bit different. So, And we cover all different categories that, let's say, you would see in a CVS or a grocery store. Basically, we break up into four divisions across the, uh, the company. We have our grocery division, which includes categories like snacks and beverages and candy, as well as the food service offerings. Then we'll have general merchandise, which focuses on products, categories like pet, school and office supplies, toys. Then we'll have our health and beauty care, which uh, focuses on skincare, bath, cosmetics, vitamins and supplements, things like that nature. And then we have our pharmacy and medical markets, which is branded pharmaceuticals, generic pharmaceuticals, diabetes products. So we have about 100 of these programs, and we have international as well. So we have an Asian beauty. We have about a dozen programs that are in Europe as well. So you know, the main goal is to get these buyers give them access to brands that emerging brands they've never seen before, help them with their category planning. And uh, as far as the suppliers, we're giving them access, getting them in front of these buyers at scale. So, you know, that's, that's the main thing. Anybody can have a meeting. Any supplier can go and find a buyer and set up a meeting. But we're giving them the ability to do this at scale in a condensed amount of time so you know, you know, within two or three days, you're having anywhere from fifty to one hundred and fifty meetings, depending on the category. So you know, that's one aspect of the business. And then the other aspect is the Range Meet product discovery platform, which is think of like an, uh, a marketplace. It's it has several thousand retail buyers and more than two hundred thousand suppliers, a lot of emerging brands. And RangeMe also serves as the inbound product submission platform 
for most of the largest retailers in the country. So for example, CVS, if you're a supplier and you go to their CVS website, you click the link to submit a product for their consideration, RangeMe handles the back end of that. All of, you know, they, they, you upload the product information, build a profile on RangeMe, and then it gets routed to the appropriate buyer. So between both ECRM and RangeMe, which RangeMe we acquired about three, almost exactly three years ago, uh, next month, I believe, will be uh, three years. And so they both work in tandem to kind of bring these buyers and suppliers together, again, in a really efficient and effective way. So I want to touch a little bit more on that the Range Me acquisition, because you guys were doing these great programs, you were industry leader, and then you made a move three years ago to invest in a digital future, uh, which is proving very wise today. Why was it that you started thinking about digital back then? Well, exactly what you meant. We were looking looking towards the future. And, you know, originally we were going to build our own digital offering. We wanted to build our own digital platform for connecting them because, you know, that that would complement our business. Obviously, everything is going digital. There's so many opportunities in digital. Not that face-to-face is going away. Face-to-face in person will never go away, though it's going to fundamentally change after this whole coronavirus pandemic. However, you know, we do did recognize that digital is going to be an important part. So we, we figured it was a lot easier to acquire the best in class platform that was out there rather than build our own from scratch. Range we already had the reputation, you know, they're very well known. They had a great platform. So why duplicate the process? You mentioned what we're going through right now with COVID-19, and obviously that's had a big impact on anybody that's in the world of face-to-face meetings. How has ECRM and obviously through RangeMe responded to these uh, kind of crazy times that we're living in? That's where all the excitement's been in the past few months. It's it's really been interesting what happened, you know. So once we started seeing the warning signs, right, when the major industry expos and events started canceling or postponing, you know, and we knew, okay, all of these bars, they had travel restrictions, you know. So we saw that there were three really big pain points in the industry brought on by the pandemic. Two of them on the buyer side and one of them on the supplier side. So on the buyer side, one, travel restrictions. So they couldn't visit, they couldn't go to shows, they couldn't visit with suppliers, they couldn't have suppliers visit them. Number two was time, lack of time. They were, you know, everybody in the fast-moving consumer goods industry was overwhelmed with, you know, this panic buying and maintaining their supply chains. And even if you weren't in one of the essentials categories, you were helping people who were. I have heard stories of some retailers that, you know, senior, you know, there were executives driving trucks. They they would rent out trucks and they're driving trucks just to help keep their stores supplied. Everybody was in a scramble. So there's no time. And again, they can't travel. On the supplier side, you had a lack of access because of that. You know, they can't get in front of these buyers and uh, they needed to. Plus, on top of that, with all, and this, this is probably pain point number four, on top of that, you know, you had the traditional supply chain and the traditional suppliers were running out of stock on all of these items. 
And, you know, it was not no fault of the, the retailers or the buyers or even the suppliers. It was just overwhelmed. The, the system was overwhelmed. Even if they had stuff in their warehouses, they, there was uh, uh, not enough drivers to accommodate the need. So they were scrambling to find new brands that can kind of fill in the gaps of those out of stocks. So when we, as a company, we step back and we look at that in our conversations with buyers and suppliers, you know, we realize that because we already have our format and our process of working with the buyers and the suppliers, as well as the RangeMe platform, we could step in and help right away. And it was, I was even amazed at how fast our team was able to do it. So the first line of defense, so the first line of action was actually RangeMe, where RangeMe worked with some of its enterprise partners. Now, those are those partners, the retailers that have the uh, RangeMe link on their site and you know, RangeMe handles their inbound submissions, product submissions. What they did, and we're talking probably the, within the first couple of weeks of March, just when the quarantine was starting, they worked with some of these probably eight major retailers to do what's, what they referred to as like product review days. So, for example, Fresh Time is one of them. Fresh Time Farmers Market is one of them. What they did was they announced it early that all of you suppliers that are out there that couldn't get in front of these retailers because of these trade shows closing, you could submit your products to Fresh Time Farmers Market through this link. And then at the end of the month, all of their buyers are going to spend a good portion of a day dedicated to just reviewing those product submissions. So that was the kind of the first thing that was happening on the RangeMe side. And then on the ECRM side, what we started doing was, you know, what can we do to help the buyers access uh, and find these new suppliers to help them with their goals of filling in the gaps. And so we came up with what was we refer to as our efficient supplier introductions. So what that is, it's kind of a one-to-many presentation where we have uh, up to 20 buyers. And again, they're category-specific, and we started with the essentials. So hand sanitizer was the first one, you know, uh, paper goods, things like that. Well, we, I think we reached up to 80 different categories over the month of April. But so what, what it is, is we had 20 buyers and then there'll be 10 suppliers. And over a two hour period, each supplier gave a 10 minute presentation to that panel of buyers. And, you know, we hit a nerve with that because as soon as within two weeks of launching it, we had more than a thousand buyers sign up. And we're talking, you know, a lot of buyers maybe from one national grocery chain, for example, you had one buyer jump on the first one, then two days later, we had 30 buyers from that retailer sign up across the categories because all of a sudden the word got around, hey, look, you can go here and find some products. You can find these products that we need. So the efficient supplier introductions worked very well. And in our feedback and talking to the buyers who participated, we learned that you know they love them, but they would also like something a little more akin to our in-person experience with the one-on-one -on -one interaction directly with each supplier rather than you know as a group. Now, in the ESIs, they still had the ability 
to you know submit questions they would do it through the chat and then one of our client success managers would moderate it and you know ask the the, the supplier the questions but they you know they wanted that one-on-one -on -one experience and the suppliers were looking for that too so that's when we actually launched our virtual sessions and what the virtual sessions are it's basically the same format and process that we use in person but with a customized digital platform uh, meeting platform layered on top of it because when for every one of our sessions now the sessions are the actual meetings themselves and when you hear me refer to program the program is the before during and after services so whenever a buyer registers for one of our programs let's say cosmetics fragrance and bath so let's say um cvs buyer registers for that they're immediately assigned a client success manager that client success manager will have a consultation with them, learn their needs and objectives, you know, what their goals are for that category, for their category growth. At the same time, they're doing that with the suppliers. On the supplier side, a supplier registers and a client success manager is going to learn, you know, what their products are, what categories and segments they, they address, what their capabilities are, their distribution, what their, uh, any certifications, anything that the buyer would need to know. And then as we get closer to the actual session, right, which is that, that meeting, whether it's in person or virtual, they curate a list, uh, an appointment schedule that is completely relevant and as perfectly matched as possible so that both the buyers and the suppliers get the most out of their experience they get the mo no, no time is wasted. You know, we don't want to match somebody that's not a fit. So we do all the work to make sure that there's a fit between each buyer and seller, and we curate that schedule. And then in subsequent conversations with the buyers and suppliers, we keep reformatting, revamping those schedules until we have the optimized one. So the only difference now is in the actual session itself, normally it's in person at a hotel with the suppliers having meeting spaces that are either rooms right where we'll take the bed out and put in a meeting table or they'll have 10 by 10 booth space where the buyers go from meeting space to meeting space to meeting space for private meetings that are completely dedicated to each supplier during that time and they're highly managed nobody misses a meeting all meetings start and end on time well now that has been ported to the digital format but everything else is the same as far as the underlying process and the format and the customer service, very high touch customer service. But now we have the digital interface, which gives them the ability to have these meetings to do the same thing. They could take their notes. They can view the products. They, if, if they need help, there's a button they can click for, you know, help from one of our guys who are always on hand for them. Uh, the same way we'd have them in person there on hand for them. You know, at our in-person sessions, we have client service representatives that are stationed around each few meeting spaces to make sure the meetings start and end on time. If somebody misses a meeting, we track them down. You know, the whole goal was to have every supplier meet with every buyer that's on their schedule, and that happens at every single session that we do. Online, virtually, it's going to be the same exact thing. So, you know, we were kind of unintentionally set up for this happening you know with our process and format all we had to do was just layer the technology on top of it and the technology is a version of an app 
that we use, the buyers and sellers use at the in-person meetings. So it's just facilitating the virtual meeting component. Everything else we really did not have to change other than altering it for a virtual environment as, as you saw when we did the demo. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. You're being very polite on the what the mo- movement you guys actually made on. Because March 1st, you were still having in-person events. By April 1st, you were hosting some of your first efficient supplier intros. And by May 1st, you're doing the first of these virtual summits. Like, that's pretty amazing continuous beta versus others in the industry that just canceled the event or thought about rescheduling down the line. So what was it with the culture that enabled you guys to be able to move and iterate, not just with one change, but actually doing two changes within two months? You know, I think you nailed it by saying culture. The one thing, and I've worked for a lot of different companies over my career, the one thing that really I I can attribute this to, sure, the tech is one thing, the process and the format's one thing, but the underlying ECRM culture is really what separates us from any other organization I've worked with in my life. And there's several factors that contributed to the way they can just work together so well. And again, it goes back to 25 years ago. A lot of the people within the company have been recruited directly from other people within the company. So whether they're relatives or friends and, you know, so you bring a friend in, right? If a friend hires me, I'm going to work my butt off to make sure that I don't make my friend look bad, right? So, and multiply that by 100 or 200 instances over the years where you have a lot of trust, you have that ability to work together almost to the point where, you know, you can read each other's thoughts. There are some people, the other thing is a lot of people have grown up in this company. A lot of the senior executives have grown up within the whole company, starting as maybe a client service representative at one of our sessions and then becoming an account manager, then a director of sales. And, you know, and you like, for example, Sarah Davidson, who is our senior vice president of grocery. I think she, I believe she started as an account manager and has worked across most of the categories, most of the divisions in the company as she made her way up to leading the grocery category. So you have so many things like that. So and we the culture is also a true team where if something happens, everybody drops everything and pitches in straight up to the CEO. I've seen Greg Farrow, CEO, 
helping carry boxes and moving stuff in our sessions. I mean, it starts from the top and resonates throughout the whole company. So, you know, one instance, just to give you an anecdotal, you know, instance is we had our beer, wine and spirits and on-premise adult beverage sessions going on in Orlando once. And part of that is what we call the uh, Grand Tasting Awards, where we put out about 90 high top tables and each of the, the beverage alcohol suppliers puts out their, their uh, products and everybody is invited to come and taste and vote on it. So we had it all set up outside and then we had a storm that came out of nowhere. It was not on the weather forecast. Nothing was supposed to be beautiful. All of a sudden we got hit. Everybody throughout the organization who was there, it was all hands on deck, ran out there, got soaked, grabbed the tables, moved them, shifted the whole thing inside. Within 15 minutes, we were continuing the grand tasting only inside. And the, just there's so many instances of that where the company is able to adapt and turn and quick. And, and we kind of foster that kind of action within the company. It's, it's more like, okay, if you think it works, give it a shot. If it doesn't work or if something doesn't work, we iterate, you know, take the feedback from the market, apply it. And even in our process at our sessions, right, every single session we have what's called an exit interview. So we will meet, one of our staff would meet with every buyer and every supplier participating and have a 20 minute discussion with them on to just purely to get feedback. All of that feedback is entered into our app, right? We have a special app on an iPad. And then at the end of each session, we have a meeting called Correction of Errors, where we take all that feedback and we put action items against that. And then it's applied to future sessions. So the whole company just has that culture of constantly taking feedback, applying it to the business, moving and uh, growing at each step along the way. But one thing we don't do is have meetings to death. You know, we, we won't have 10 meetings before we launch. We'll get going and then we'll iterate along the way based on feedback from customers and, and, and you know, just trial and error. And it's enabled us to really, really move quickly in every single area of the business. At the moment in time, everybody is kind of hypothesizing what's going to be the new normal. How are industries going to change? What's going to evolve, et cetera? You, know, you guys are living and breathing it with you know, the virtual programs and what you're doing. What do you think the role of virtual programs is going to be going forward? And how do you integrate that in when we are back to maybe doing one-on-one -on -one live events again? That's actually been a big discussion point with the team. And it is virtual. It's here to stay. It is not going anywhere. It is going, like you said, it's going to be part of the new normal. There's a few different ways to look at it. You know, there are several of our programs, the in-person ones, that we have kind of identified that will probably never go away as far as the in-person setting. Because not just the, for the meetings, but it's like they're, they're known for the place where everybody wants to gather for that category. Right. There's certain we've identified a, a bunch of them throughout the uh, throughout the schedule where we just know people love meeting in person at these. It's the highlight of the year. You know, however, there are some other sessions that maybe don't have that that kind of excitement around it or they're smaller or, you know, which will more than likely stay virtual. 
because the mindset from what we've been talking, uh, what we've been hearing from retailers is that they're going to be traveling a lot less going forward. They're still going to travel, but they're going to pick their spots. So they're going to, you know, say yes to certain things. They're going to say no to certain things. And so that's also going to help us determine which things to keep in person, which ones to keep virtual. But yeah, there definitely will be a mix. Plus the ESIs that we did, the, since they're a smaller version, we're going to incorporate those with both the virtual sessions and the in-person because we try to schedule our sessions around the times when the buyers are doing their category planning. But the ESIs would be great, for example, during for a mid-year review where maybe they're not, you know, they don't want to have all those meetings that they would at one of our sessions, but they kind of want to find new products for a, a, a refresh. So but when they're doing their planning, they're going to want to meet face to face. But for the refresh, any SI might be good. So, you know, we're going to take we have some that we have identified that are likely going to stay in person no matter what, you know, once this is all done and we can get back to traveling again. But then there are some where it could go either way. And we're really going to let the market determine which way if, if they really, you know, can uh, are fine doing it virtual. Well, sure, we'll do it virtual. It's it's easier for everybody. There's so many less moving parts in in terms of getting there and coming home and digging out from that. But there, like I said, there are some where, you know, people really like the social aspect of it and getting together with it. And it varies from category to category. Each kind of category has a different, I guess, personality. And, and you know, some are more about, you know, they want the meetings and they want the social part. Some of them are more about just the meetings. And, you know, so so there's going to be a few factors. And, you know, we're not there yet, but those are kind of the things that we're going to look at when we kind of determine, you know, once we do get past this and it is okay to travel, some are going to stay virtual, some are going to be in person. That's a really interesting viewpoint. And, you know, I'm, you mentioned that you're not an event company per se, but you guys have a great expertise in events. So what do you think is going to happen to the industry? Because, you know, when I hear what you described of those must-go-to events, et cetera, you know, that sounds like the CESs and the South by Southwest and some of those other big ones. Mm -hmm. Do those stay the same and it's maybe the tertiary uh, events that are going to have a real struggle? What do you think plays out? Well, for one thing, I think at least minimum till we get a, a vaccine, any place where you have those massive get-togethers of 50, 60, 80,000 people, it's not going to be the same. It's going to be, they're going to be, on the one hand, there's probably still going to be social distancing restrictions. But on the other hand, you're going to have people that are not going to want to be around crowds. You know, you'll have, especially people who don't know if they have the antibodies, like, you know, maybe I had it, a mild version. Do I have the antibody? Do I not have it? You know, do I really want to be around somebody? What if this flares up again? There's still way too many unanswered questions. So any place where you have a big gathering like that, it's going to be impacted for a while. You know, they may still be able to have it, but there's going to be social distancing, whether it's by regulation or just by people wanting to maintain social distance. And I just can't see, you know, I'm a hugger myself. So for me, going to an event where I can't shake hands and hug my friends and 
you know, be close to people, it's really not going to be the same. There's an intimacy that's not going to be there. And, you know, so it is going to really change the way they interact. But, and unfortunately, a lot of the major shows in this industry are that trade show expo format with 1,800 booths and, you know, audi- massive audiences sitting close together for their different events. And, you know, they're really going to have to rethink the way they do those. And that's why I said before is almost we kind of unintentionally were able to make this pivot because by nature, our programs, our sessions are smaller. You know, we're only bringing the relevant buyers for the category, the relevant suppliers for the category. So the total audience is maybe 600. Right. That's why we have we'll have a hundred of these during the year, but our total audience is small. So even in person, we would be able to kind of manage that with those social distancing requirements. You know, but how do you do that with an eighty thousand person event? That's going to be very tough. And then it's the sponsors of those events and the participants, you know, the 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 people who are paying to go there. What are they going to think? You know, what are they, you know, and they may just opt for something virtual instead because they, they're not going to get what they got from in person for a while. At a minimum until there's a vaccine and we can be sure that nobody's going to get it. So final question on that kind of related note is, you know, ECRM has been around for 25 years. You guys are not new to any of this stuff. Um, but the last decade has really been the rise of discovery when it comes to new brands and emerging brands challenging the status quo. What do you think happens over the next decade? Are we going to see that continued amplification of new brands and new things? Well, Where do you see the industry heading? You know, I think it's actually going to accelerate. And the whole coronavirus pandemic is one of the reasons why. Because, you know, when you think about what's happening, right? If I'm looking for the products that I'm used to getting, right? Let's say staples, you know, they ran out of, here's an example. I was talking to a retailer that has an online marketplace. And let's say I can't, you know, in the store, that retailer ran out of rice. So I'm going to that retailer's website or I'm going online and I'm not finding any of the traditional regular rice companies that I would normally see in a grocery store, but I found this artisanal rice. Or, you know, that is a startup brand that's, you know, maybe local or something. So I get that now because of necessity. I want my rice. This is the only one that's available. It's a new vendor. It's a new brand I never heard of. But and then I get it and I love that rice. Now, all of a sudden, that opens me up to, hey, you know what? Maybe there's other new brands like this that I just didn't know about that I should start exploring. And that's happening across different categories as you get out of stocks in what people are usually buying and they're forced to go to new and emerging brands, there's, you know, it's forcing trial and, you know, people are going to get exposed to all of these new brands that they've never been exposed to before. And it's going to change the way they shop because they're going to get used to it. They're going to be shopping more online where a lot of these emerging brands are. And I think that's just going to accelerate it because, They're just getting the exposure that they never would have had before if they just continued shopping the same aisles in the same stores and all that. I love that. 
Well, Joe, it's always a pleasure to sit down and talk with you. And that was a fascinating conversation. So I really appreciate you taking the time. And I can't wait to see what the virtual programs have in store for us over the next few months. Uh, I'm looking forward to it as well. But thank you so much for having me. I enjoy talking to you. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.